through. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. Yeah, man, it really tied the room together. Don't judge me, Rocky. You're a wizard, Harry. Why so serious? Here's Johnny! Welcome to episode 11 of Lords of Film. This will be the first time we've had Mark Hughes, who's usually on the Shailen on Batman's podcast, but he decided to come on today to talk the Oscars, give us some Oscar uh, picks. So welcome to the welcome to Lords of Film, Mark. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, guys. Always a pleasure to talk to you. So let, let's start off like a heavy hitter question. Um, why do you think that uh, the DCEU has more diversity right now than the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I mean that's a it's a good question but it's funny it's 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 actually a relevant question because it kind of gets to the heart I think of the issue uh which is the DCU uh both, even though we all know that comic books and comic book films needed to to make an effort to have more diversity in the Marvel films, not just the DC. I give both Marvel and DC credit for d trying to diversify and, and bring more diversity in. And the reason for that is, well, who are the fans? What's the fan base for these movies? You know, in general, it's a global audience. It's worldwide. Everybody is watching these movies. And if you're trying to appeal to a global audience, then you have to meet certain expectations and you have to realistically present the world and present your audience. And in addition to that, a lot of the fan base and viewership for these movies and for comics are younger people who are even more likely to want diversity and to expect diversity. So it's, it's kind of a case of, you know, it's, it's going where your audience is. And then the creators too. Look at who's involved in, in making these movies and in, in making comics. It tends to be people who grew up with comics. It tends to be younger people. It's, you know, it's a new generation of filmmakers who were fans of this stuff as kids and everything. And I think they bring more diversity of ideas into the mix, maybe, and are maybe more conscious of it. Compare that to what the Oscars are. The Oscars aren't, pan, they're not like looking to do outreach. They're not nominating movies based on trying to appeal to the global audience. You know, they're making nominations based on their personal preferences. And the Academy itself, I mean, honestly, you know, and they know this, it's not a secret. It's 93 to 94% white and right. it's 75% uh, male. And that's today. In 2016, what do you think those numbers were 20 and 30 years ago? I mean, there was a period in time when the Academy was only white people. And that was a long, it went on for a long time. And we all, it's important to remember, I think it's very important to make this point that there is a distinction between whether you as a person are racist and whether you as a person simply your preferences and ideas within a larger organization that has historically mostly been white. When when a lot of the people that are voting at the academy are, you know, 55 and older, they're older people. They've been in the academy for a long time, including when it was even there was even less diversity, frankly. 
and their life experiences, just like all of us, their life experiences are going to significantly inform their preferences and what speaks to them and what they look at and say, oh, I relate to that. I know what that's, you know, it, it's easier to, to kind of be drawn into movies where you see something of yourself reflected in them and your own experiences reflected in them, which is precisely why we, in general, we want more diversity in film because we want everyone to see themselves and their experiences reflected, right? And a more realistic reflection of the world. Well, at the Academy, if you've been in this organization and this institution that for years has been predominantly white and that has predominantly recognized movies that were mostly white and if your own experiences as a white person tend to guide your preferences and you're an older generation in general then i think it's not surprising that when they look at movies that a movie like brooklyn or 45 years oh those are movies about the white middle class and upper middle class experience and uh, it's something that they relate to, and so they're watching a story that they relate to on some level and that is kind of, in a way, a mirror back to them. And I think that influences them, whether they want to admit that it does or not, whether any of us want to admit that it does or not. Uh, when we see ourselves reflected in art or in cinema or in a story, it affects us subconsciously, and I think to them they get their ballot and they're naming the movies that they think were the best and they're naming the actors they think were the best and they don't feel racist and they aren't sitting there thinking well i like this movie because it's white people right you don't have to think that and your intent you know there's a there's a common phrase now intent isn't magic it you're in, it doesn't matter whether you know you intended to offend people or you intended to shut people out if your actions over and over just by nature happen to keep shutting people out, then you have to ask yourself, why is that happening? Can I really say that it's everybody else in the world? Or is it possible? Is it possible? Am I willing to consider that an organization that's 94% white and that me as a white person, two years in a row nominating nothing but white people for acting, maybe, just maybe, even if I don't feel racist and I'm not racist and that person over there who voted isn't racist, maybe there's something in this institution perpetuating a lack of diversity and maybe we have to admit that and say that it's worth taking steps to change that. Right. It wasn't just acting. If you look at like the Creed director, <laughs> uh, Straight Outta Compton, like those like really Solid movies. Yeah. Ooh, solid movies. And yeah. why they weren't nominated for anything. Like, like, Kugler, why, like, one of the best, uh, performances by Sylvester Stallone in, what, 10, 15 years? You got a really great performance out of Michael B. Jordan. The, the, the fights between everything was very visceral. Why wasn't he nominated? Why wasn't the Straight Outta Compton director nominated? Like, these questions. Need yeah. to have to have a, needs answers to it's just it's kind of crazy. Well, and it's I think for example, Straight Outta Compton is the movie that I point to most often as an example of how I think this happened. And I say, well, you know, I grew up, I was a teenager in the '80s, and I remember those albums, and I remember what it was like yeah. when those albums came out, and it was just it was just a complete it grabbed 
pop culture by the shoulders and shook everybody and slapped them and said, wake up. It changed music forever. And if you remember that time, then you also remember the institutional, severe institutional racism in the LAPD and just how much uh, the black community felt under siege by uh, the LAPD and in other cities like Detroit and in uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, there were, I mean, in Pitt, I don't know if you know, in Pittsburgh, you know, they, they dropped a, essentially dropped a bomb on a house full of black people yep. who refused to surrender because they're, they like to let their kids play naked in the front yard. You know, uh, this, this kind of thing was going on in the eighties and it was, it was scary. And I remember that and I was a young person and that affected me and it affected my impression of society, of our culture, of race relations, of institutional racism and of music. But if somebody is 60 years old on the academy and they're an upper class and rich white person who whose life experiences are much more like 45 years, the film 45 years, which I'm not bashing that. I'm just saying if their experience is more like that and they don't really relate to what I saw as a young person in the 80s and what the black community went through in the 80s and is still going through, then a lot of them, when Straight Outta Compton came on, when they saw it or when they heard about it, they heard the song, Fuck the Police. (laughs) And they're seeing a movie that's, oh, it's these guys are saying, fuck the police. And some of these guys are talking about being murderers and getting guns and they're running through a hotel pointing guns at people to them they don't relate to that they don't like that they look at it and say do i do i want to nominate an award and applaud a film that says fuck the police you know from their position challenging those institutions calling those things out isn't something that necessarily is gonna speak to them and uh I think, unfortunately, it caused it, it creates kind of a cloud of vision when it comes to judging the film on artistic merits, and that's really unfortunate. And yeah. it says something about how much our ability to relate to other people and other people's experiences and other people's history can be so driven by or, you know, uh, blocked even by our own personal experiences uh not having gone through the same things and maybe having lived a life of privilege where we didn't encounter those problems so therefore we don't really necessarily want to recognize or admit those problems exist yeah it's a big generation gap really it just yeah yeah do you think there's any chance that mad max can uh surprise this year's oscars with best picture i don't think it's going to uh, beat out uh, the director of Revenant or, you know, like, I feel like Leo probably is going to finally get his Academy Award, but do you think that film could outshine uh, this year's Academy Awards with a Best Picture win over Revenant? No, no, I don't think that Mad Max, uh, I think it's a very, I think it's a long, it would be a very long shot uh, to win anything like that. Um, it's a great film, I love the film, you know, uh, uh, I, if it won, then look, you know, I'd be, I'd be quite happy, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't anticipate that happening at all. Uh, I think right now the Revenant is, uh, actually, I think the Revenant or Spotlight are going to, I think either the Revenant or Spotlight will win, um, for best picture 
I think The Revenant will probably win for Best Director. I think Leo uh, DiCaprio will win for his acting for The Revenant. I think Mad Max will take. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's. I don't. I can't imagine that it won't take uh, the Film and Sound Editing Awards. It's it's potentially the greatest, the greatest film editing <laughs> that I've ever seen. Yeah, that's uh, the sound editing and sound mixing it, it will probably take, uh, it might get, uh, I, I suspect Star Wars will take visual effects, uh, but Mad Max, if anything is going to upset Star Wars, it would probably be Mad Max, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I think Mad Max already by getting nominated for best picture and best director has already kind of like made its statement and uh i don't i think that it has a lot of support as one of the best films of the year i don't think that it has quite enough people that are going to put it as the number one i'm just i was just disappointed when i saw that junkie xl wasn't nominated for best uh score because that's one of like my favorite scores of like the last 10 15 years yeah, it's a great score. Uh, you know, music is very often one of the most the, the most iffy and kind of screwy categories at the Academy Awards. Uh, usually, it's song. Actually, original song is where I tend to to kind of shake my head most. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with musical score, the, very often you know sometimes we'll see something really great get get nominated, and then other times it it ends up being a surprise. I'm I don't know if it'll happen, but you know, the Hateful Eight, I love the Hateful Eight's score. I love Sicario's score. Uh, so I would personally, I'd like to see one of those take that award. Do you think Room has any possibility of winning awards this year? Oh, I think Room will take, uh, uh, the best actress for sure. I don't, I would be shocked. That's one of the few shoe-ins in my opinion at the moment. Uh, I would say Brie Larson is probably the is the, a strong front runner in that category. Kate Blanchett maybe is the is probably the the a close second, but I give Larson a little bit of an edge. Uh, I think Charlotte Rampling uh, probably hurt her chances with her comments about the Oscar so white. You know, situation. I don't know if you saw it, but she said that she felt like it was that the the backlash was uh, racist against white people, and I think that yeah, I, I think that hurt her. I think that hurt. I think that there are a lot of people that are going to be upset by that at this point. Although it might also win her some votes from people who were, you know, there's a lot of Academy members right now who uh, are unhappy with the changes that are being made because they might lose their uh, their power to vote in the Oscars. And wow. there's a lot of people speaking out and, and angry about that. And so a lot of them might vote for her just as a, a sort of, you know, protest vote. Not that they wouldn't think she did a great job acting. I mean, it's a terrific performance, but, uh, at the end of the day, it's, I, I have to think the weight, uh, the weight of momentum is with Brie Larson there. I'd agree with that. Do you think there'll be any like surprises this year? 
with the Oscars, but I feel like there's every year there's like just that one like oh my god I didn't see that one coming with that like the award. The only one I'm worried about is Leo because it just seems like he's winning everything, but there's still that chance that he might lose out to like Cranston. That was gonna be my question. I was gonna ask like I'm sorry. Who, it's all right. Who do you? I was gonna say like who do you think if it happens who's gonna who's gonna upset Leo? Like, that's what I'm wondering. Uh. I, I would lean toward Matt Damon. That's what I uh, really as as the upset vote. If if Leo so if Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't win, then I would say Matt Damon. But you know what? Look, uh, don't underestimate Trombone because it got a lot of love. You know, from SAG voters like that movie a lot, uh, and I would not be surprised. I mean, Brian, Cr- I would be surprised, but if Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't win this year. But there's some backlash against The Revenant now. There's a lot of people, there's what I think is a silly backlash that I think is kind of the fans of it are being flamed a little bit by some sites and some some writers who are just engaging in some really exaggerated commentary about the film uh, and complaining about the Oscar campaign for the film. And could that hurt Leonardo DiCaprio? I don't know, maybe. I hope not. Uh, I hope that everybody votes based on, you know, the based on something other than bad press for uh, a movie, but there is a backlash out there. I don't know if you're aware of it, but we there is not. a backlash. Could, you, could uh, you give us a little, like, dollop of, like, what? Because we're, like, completely unaware of that. Yeah, it's it's absurd. It's ridiculous. There's, uh, you know, the, they, the Revenant was filmed, like, out on a location. It was cold. It was harsh conditions. And the Oscar campaigns has mentioned that and has talked about that and made that, like, a point of things that they talk about is how difficult this film was to make and how much commitment the crew and the, the cast had for making the film. And for some ridiculous reason, a bunch of people are angry and saying, well, who cares? I don't care if it was hard to make. So what? That, that has nothing to do with judging a film's artistic merit. And I keep thinking, yeah, just remember that the next time I have to listen to you write a review that praises an actor who engaged in method acting, who lost a lot of weight or who really trained and, and studied for a role and went through a lot for a role, people praise this stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, people talk about the difficulties of a production suit, suit all the time. Mad Max, I listened for months and I love Mad Max, and I think it was valid to talk about the difficulties of that shoot and the commitment and how much time was put into it and how they drove across the desert chasing the sun to get a shot. That's relevant. You know, when you're talking about filmmaking and, and, and how a director achieved what they achieved, there's no reason to act like those things don't matter, especially since normally we all act like they matter, and we all know we act like they matter. People are just pissed off at The Revenant right now, and I think part of it is just some lingering backlash against the director because, you know, I didn't, I gave, I didn't like Birdman, and a lot of people that are bashing The Revenant right now and complaining about this Oscar campaign for The Revenant, likewise didn't like Birdman and complained about Birdman at the time, and I think it's a holdover. I think there's some opposition to it, and I think there's a little bit of fanboyism involved where people who want another film, namely Mad Max, they want Mad Max to win. They wanted George Miller to win Best Director, and uh, they resent another film, you know, taking the award instead, the directing award in particular instead. And I think there's a lot of these little nuanced things happening, and it's affecting 
people's judgment a little bit on it. Uh, the Revenant's a great film. It's subjective. If you don't like it, fine. But if you write an article claiming that the conditions and how the film was made don't matter, and if you write a film claiming that there's no story and that there's no character development, well, those are things that I think I could objectively argue are bullshit <laughs> and that I can point out, well, no, actually, there, these are, there are things in that story that are much deeper than you're giving it credit for. The fact that you don't see them or don't want to talk about them or don't like them is different, but pretending it's not there is disingenuous. And I think, uh, that whole backlash is just to me very, very silly. I feel like I have, I kind of have like a clue of who that 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 person or those few people are of just giving just the nonsense uh, about a great film and Revenant. It's what I love the film. You know, if other people don't like it, it's unfortunate if they if they missed a lot of you know or didn't like or just it didn't speak to them. That's fine. You know, I I mean I remember I was on the opposite end of this last year with when Birdman. I was one of the very few people. Who I didn't just not like Birdman. I gave it a really harsh review. I really, really took it to task. And I even took to task a lot of the support for the film. So I understand. I've been on the receiving end. So I know, you know, it, it right now they're in there. They feel the same way right now that I did last year, probably, I guess. But at the end of the day, I still, uh, I don't agree with the backlash. And I hope that the backlash doesn't have any effect on the voting. So you did mention how you think Leonardo maybe Matt Damon would be a shoo-in for best actor. What, <laughs> how likely do you think it is that Eddie Redmayne could get the award? I don't think he'll get it because he won last year. And I think, uh, uh, I would say that he probably has the lowest odds at this point, simply because you know, for all the talk about, well, we nominate based on merit, which this is an important point, by the way, that I also want to speak to is the whole claim that that we nominate based purely on merit and race doesn't matter, which itself implies that white people are just naturally better at everything and is an offensive concept. Uh, but first of all, as far as the notion that everything is on merit, that's bullshit. And anybody who's out there saying that and saying, you know, don't complain about the nominations being all white because we just we don't look at color, we don't look at anything except the quality. That's not true. The Oscars pretty often the voters will vote for people who they know better, who through the biggest party, uh, they often don't even see all of the films. Uh, they often nominate or they often vote for the winner based on things like, well, it's their time. They, you know, well, we overlooked them last time, so they should have won two years ago, so they'll win this year. Or this is the last film that this person is going to make, so we have to give her or him an Oscar this year or, and so on and so forth. So, you know, which is all whatever the reasons are at the end of the day, it's their organization and it's their vote. And they can if they want to say we awarded Eddie Redmayne last year and it's there's lots of other great acting and people who are deserving, then fine. But it points to the fact that if Redmayne doesn't win this year, I think at least a part of why he is probably fifth in line out of five people he's in last place is probably precisely because he won last year already and they aren't going to be inclined to give another award to him so soon and in a larger sense 
a lot of this this notion that well we there shouldn't be affirmative action no one is asking for affirmative action in the awards nobody is saying there should be a quota what people are saying is if you consistently nominate almost only white people if 90% of your nominees are always white more than 90% in many if not most years then that's not a coincidence and the only if your argument is well we're just picking the best and the best people just happen to always be white and mostly men then what you're implying is that white people are better than non than people of color at making movies and that men in particular are better than women at doing these things if you claim it's pure merit based and that there's nothing else going on that's what you're saying and you're suggesting that a 94 let's just change it let's just imagine for a moment what if every member of the academy what if 94% of the academy members were german and <laughs> okay and 90 to 95% of all the nominees were german and they said that has nothing to do with it the fact that the fact that most of us are germans does not affect it just happens to be that when we pick the best on merit that it's almost all just german people would anyone if that happened for decades not just once in a while almost always that happened we would of course say that seems to like maybe you should consider that maybe there's some unintentional bias maybe there's some institutional bias and 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 preference and privilege which is the distinction when they think they you say the oscars are too white they hear oh you think we're racist and there there's that difficulty in a lot of white privileged people's minds of recognizing white privilege and understanding that when you act based on white privilege it doesn't matter if you think negative racist things about minorities you can love minorities you can work for the end you can volunteer for the NAACP you can be involved in all sorts of of organizations for social justice for people of color but if you're part of an organization that has institutional white privilege then that's going to come out that's going to affect the outcomes no matter how much you personally are not racist or feel you're not racist it's going it happens and that's why it's not a coincidence and that's why it's offensive to people when someone says all we do is nominate the best people the best people are just always usually white people at everything Damn. you know it's it's it assumes like the coen brothers the coen brothers i love their movies and i really hate that i have to say this but you saw i assume the statement where they said you know when i write a story or i write a screenplay we don't write a character saying this character's jewish or this character's uh, in a wheelchair we just write characters and if you don't know that that's how it happens then you don't understand the story well i'm sorry i understand the story and i understand writing and i know that sometimes what color a character is matters and yeah. i understand sometimes characters are in wheelchairs and more importantly what i understand that i don't think they realize they were saying is when you act like a request for diversity means oh well diversity i shouldn't just write characters as black or whatever i should just write characters how they are the underlying assumption there is that white people are the default setting for people i don't oh if you just write a character they just happen to turn out white when it comes time to cast them they just happen to end up being white people because that's a default setting and that you have to go you have to make an effort to make people people of color or other than white 
That's kind of an underlying concept there. And I think too many people fail to notice that and too many people don't take responsibility for those implications in their statements. They should just think about this a little bit from somebody else's perspective once in a while. Awesome. One last quick <coughs> Oscar question. Supporting actor, Tom Hardy or Sly Stallone, who do you think edges it out for that one? Who do I think will win? Yeah. Oh, I think I think Sylvester Stallone will win it. Uh, if he if there's an upset, then I I strongly suspect it would be Mark Ruffalo. Um, really? I, I would say Stallone's probably going to win. Ruffalo is a close second, and Christian Bale is possibly uh, a, a, the dark horse third candidate for an upset. But I think it'll be Stallone. I think it'll be Stallone with Ruffalo on his heels. Okay. Yes. What do you think about The Martian? Like, do you think that's going to do anything, Mr. Matt Damon? I think The Martian. It's The Martian is is one of those films that it in any other year you could imagine it taking best picture, yeah. best actor, best visual effects, right. best uh, uh, best director, uh, best adapted screenplay. I think adapted screenplay is probably going to end up where it has the best shot at scoring anything wow. because it's just up against. In other categories, it's it's up against things that are gonna that are gonna best it, and I, I suspect that The Big Short or Brooklyn will win for best adapted screenplay. Probably The Big Short, Brooklyn is my runner up. Uh, but I, I I I love The Martian. I think it's a terrific movie, uh, and it's just it's it's one of those years where it's. Just the categories where it had the best chance to stand out are probably the categories where it's going to be pushed out by something else. Um, maybe, you know, maybe The Martian uh, could, for production design, I could yeah. see The Martian taking it, Mad Max or The Martian taking it for production design, maybe. Uh, if I was going to guess somewhere that it might kind of jump out and take an award, uh, that's probably what I would point to first. Awesome. All right, we got to jump into some Batman talk since you're on. I know this is Lord of the Film, but Batman v Superman's 35 days away, and I have like some issues with the overall marketing campaign of the film so far. I feel like it's been a little lackluster coming off the coattails of what the amazing marketing campaign of Deadpool. I mean, like they just <laughs> dropped they just dropped the trailer last week. Like the last one, and they didn't even have it on the the WB YouTube channel till like a day or two later. Like to me, like it just there's. I feel like they're just dropping the ball. I guess you could say. What What is your overall opinion on the marketing so far, of Batman v Superman? Like Suicide Squad's killing it. I feel like Batman v Superman is kind of like, yeah. Well. I wouldn't compare, I mean, they're very different films, and with Deadpool, Deadpool is the sort of movie that lends itself very well to viral marketing and to, uh, particularly to, uh, online and mobile device kind of marketing, uh, and that, and, and they have a reason to really push harder there because it's a lower budgeted movie, because it's R rated. They're really trying to find unique ways to reach out and touch audiences, which is, I'm sure, is, is a, a, a choice of phrase that they would just love. <laughs> um, but uh, Deadpool is, it's much easier to promote a comedy than it is a film like Batman versus Superman, 
when you've got a comedy, particularly a good one, like Deadpool is a, not just a comedy, it's a very good comedy, and it's a superhero comedy, and it's an action comedy, and it's got such innovative ideas and, and so much... Uh, it's the sort of thing that lends itself to silly, weird kind of viral marketing campaigns and advertising. Uh, Batman versus Superman, the bar for success. You know, if Deadpool could afford to, let me, let me back up for a second. Deadpool could afford a marketing campaign that wasn't trying to necessarily drive huge mass numbers of worldwide audiences to this film on opening weekend. It turned out happening, but that's they weren't spending money trying to specifically do that. They were just in, they were very content to have fun with the marketing campaign to show this is what the film is like, this is the tone of it, and you're either going to like it or you're not. And they knew, you know, with a fifty million budget and a marketing campaign that was roughly in the same kind of vicinity as far as price, uh, the bar wasn't that high for where they had to get in order to turn a profit or to make up, you know, for make up some money. So there's a certain liberty and freedom in that. Batman versus Superman is a movie with a $200 million budget. Uh, they have, they have a wide array of other film projects dependent on this. They have the merchandising. I don't know if you even realize how much what the merchandising for just Batman and Superman alone, Batman merchandising and Superman alone, uh, which is, this is something I talk about tomorrow in my, in my article. Uh, you're talking about $800 million a year. That's how much the merchandise Batman, that's the licensing. That's how much they get for licensing of Batman and Superman merchandising. That's the, that's the, the revenue stream, $800 million. That's not counting Wonder Woman and the Justice League. That's not counting Blu-rays and DVD. There's a lot of other stuff out there. So, yeah, I was at Toys R Us the other weekend for my son's birthday, and just wow, like they had a whole aisle of everything. Batman, Super, it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, so my point though is that when that's what you're dealing with, and when you're a studio that's protecting a several hundred million dollars licensing fees hundreds of millions in merchandising, uh, box office that's expected to be in the, you know, uh, approaching a billion dollars, then you have to spend a lot more to market it. They are really selling this to a worldwide audience that's in not just in the U.S., it's in, in uh, South America, it's in Europe, it's in China, it's yeah. in uh, uh, Central Eurasia, it's everywhere this movie has to sell, and that's what they're doing. So they need to sell it and stand out uh, as a big superhero action-adventure team-up movie. And I've liked the, the advertising for the most part so far. Uh, as you know, I, I kind of publicly for a few weeks was saying, look, they, you know, the one thing that's missing is they need to explain why Batman is punching Superman and why Superman is punching Batman. People are going to want to know, and without a background, you know, like Marvel has set up the fact that Captain America and Iron Man don't always get along. These heroes have fought before. We know in the trailer they make it clear that, like, there's there's a, a, an initiative, there's a sign-up that's coming. They're, they blame Bucky for some terrible event. Captain 
Captain America is defending him and it's his friend and he's saying, this guy's my friend, you can't take him. So it pits him against another friend. They've really set up, you know these personalities, you know these characters, you know where they stand on issues, you know why they've come in conflict before, and you know exactly what brings them into conflict in this movie. With Batman versus Superman, audiences have to rely on, well, there was a lot of destruction in Man of Steel, and Batman is mad, and for some reason he blames Superman. The mainstream public is not going on superhero hype and uh, other, you know, message fan message boards and sites endlessly debating the merits of Man of Steel, and they're not involved in these fan back and forth. No, the Avengers had more people, civilians died. No, Man of Steel. No, Superman was. The mainstream public doesn't give a shit, and they haven't heard any of that. They're not a party of that. They don't know. They've seen Man of Steel or they haven't. If they saw Man of Steel, they generally saw that Superman fought the bad guys, and, you know, maybe some of the people who saw that movie felt like Superman should have done more. Maybe some didn't. But other than that, what's their context going to be for why Batman is so pissed off at Superman and is like, I got to kill Superman now? Why? Well, because those villains, like, tore up Metropolis. Wait, what? <laughs> what's the reason there? And then Superman saying, you know what, Batman? Batman's dead. Don't show up if they call you again. Why? Well, because you wear a suit and fight crime? What? Come on. <laughs> That's, the mainstream public isn't necessarily going to know right away. And I'm not saying that they aren't going to show up. They're going to show up to the movie because it's Batman, first of all, and it's Superman, and it's Wonder Woman, and it's superheroes, and it's big, and it looks awesome. So the public is going to show up, but you need to kind of give get them invested more. Show them why are these... Guy, why are they fighting? What's the beef between them exactly? What's the reason? And up until recently, that hadn't been obvious in the trailers. The trailers showed us there's a conflict. The world is uncertain about Superman, distrusts Superman, and for some reason, Batman wants to punch him. Then we got a trailer that showed, you know, the world's divided. Some people like Superman. Some think he's a savior. Some think he's a devil. And then we saw again that and Batman still wants to punch Superman. Uh, up until that point, we hadn't found out why Batman wants to punch Superman. <laughs> we got our first glimpse of Wonder Woman in action. Uh, she seemed to be fighting Superman alongside Batman. We hadn't seen Doomsday in that second trailer yet. Those two trailers, and then the early teaser footage of, like, Batman hanging in the, like, dungeon in Fifty Shades of Superman yeah. dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Those which I think is great. I don't say that to make fun of it. I love it. I think it's awesome. And when people see what it's about and what's going on there, it's, it's really cool. Uh, but it's, you know, he's, it's a dream and a vision that he's having. And that's you, everybody knows what that symbol is on the ground when Batman comes up out of there and sees what's happened to the earth. So, uh, and then there's this, that again, though, is like, okay, so something's going on here, and Batman really, really wants to fight Superman, and Superman's really, really mad at Batman. Uh, we The stage was set there for the fight between them and for a darker movie and for, you know, uh, for us to know that there's this, this central conflict, Batman versus Superman. But the, the title is also Dawn of Justice, and we hadn't seen that yet. Where's Justice dawning exactly, you know? 
Well, the third trailer then comes along and says, this is a, this is not just a superhero hate superhero movie. This is a superhero team up movie. It's going to lead to Justice League. They're going to be in conflict, but they will come to realize that they have to put aside their differences for the greater good. And they'll realize they have more in common than in opposition. There was more sense of humor in this trailer and we see Doomsday. So the trailer got them, that trailer got a lot of positive reaction, right? You know, everybody loved that trailer. Uh, it made people very happy. And that was technically the second trailer. I say third because I'm counting the, the initial teaser, you know, when they released the footage of Batman and Superman facing each other on the rooftop and all that. Uh, so this second trailer slash the third, like, main big release reveal from the movie, uh, and plus also the there was that home the the footage of in the dungeon. So this trailer with Doomsday gets a lot of attention, and it becomes clear that you know okay, uh, there's a sense of humor. Doomsday's there. The heroes are going to team up. Uh, then we we still though I felt like we hadn't really found out why they were against each other, and that's when the TV ads came in that I think should have come sooner. I think those ads. They should have released a couple of different TV spots right after the first main trailer was released to explain why Batman is against Superman and why Superman is against Batman. Uh, more to the point, uh, I really think it would be helpful if they had a trailer that noted that, like, Superman, specifically, he's getting his ass hauled in front of Congress. Everybody's blaming him for a bunch of shit that bad aliens did. And meanwhile, there's this guy, Batman, who's out there carving people up and blowing up cars with people in them. And he's acting as the superhero masked vigilante. And Superman kind of resents the implication that what they do is the same and that he's some sort of danger to society while Batman is out there running around tearing shit up. And I think that's that dynamic and that kind of psychological impact on Superman and the fact that he's like, look, I go out there looking to save and rescue people. Batman goes out there looking to catch and hurt people. There's a difference, even though we seem similar. He does what he does in the dark because he has to do it in the dark. He can't do that in the light of day. And so that's a whole interesting dynamic that I, I wish was a little more apparent in the trailers. But the point is they came out with these TV ads that really drive home there is a reason they're in conflict. So finally that happened. I wish it had happened sooner, but they did it. They got it out there, and uh, I think they—I think it was good. I think it's a good thing. Um, and now that last trailer was just knocked it out of the park. That—that yeah. that was really probably the trailer we were, had all everybody had been waiting for, right? I mean, that—that right. that last trailer was just so terrific. Uh, There's—I understand the argument that man, they should have released that trailer first. Well, that trailer didn't exist first, <laughs> and they were—they had a direction they were going. They wanted to start off somber and quieter and build. They were slowly building and releasing, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, that slow buildup and that slow, patient release worked for The Dark Knight and for The Dark Knight Rises, even though a lot of people remember when those movies came out. And everybody, including fans, were like, when are we going to see more? They should be showing us more. We should see this. We should see that. People wanted to know, wanted to know, wanted to see, but they stuck to their guns, and it worked, and it worked out fine. And I think that's uh, I think that's what's going to happen with this film, and I think that's what's happening with the marketing this time. 
uh, and I, I really love that fourth trailer. And uh, I've liked all of the trailers. Uh, the only thing for me was that I think they should have had the explanation of why they're fighting. Those TV ads should have started playing after the first trailer came out, before the second trailer. That's my opinion. But as it stands, I think they've kind of got where they need to be now. That's Those things are out there now. This new trailer was a really big hit. Everybody loves it a lot. Uh, it really, one thing it did that was extremely important and really good for the film's box office prospects is you can't watch that trailer without thinking, holy damn, this is a Batman movie. Yeah. Well, I know Superman fans are going to be upset by that, but they both get equal time here. But Batman is very heavily in the first part, and there's a lot of this movie that's really about, you know, it shows us Batman. We're going to get a Batman origin. We're going to get Batman in training. We're going to get Batman in action like we've never seen him in action before. This is a, there's, it's a, a Batman movie as much as it's a Superman movie. So, uh, it, it's interesting, and I think audiences are really catching on to that fact, and they're really branding it in a great way now, and I think that's going to work in its favor, uh, come March 25th. Right. Everyone that I've talked to were kind of like on the fence with the, the film, like, the, you know, I'll go see it eventually, but, like, I just don't understand why Batman and Superman are fighting. I tried to explain to him, but as soon as they saw, like, the last trailer with Batman Heavy, where he jumps through the the, the floor and everything. Punches someone so hard, their head goes through the floor. Like, <laughs> Everyone's yeah. like, the, all, all, all those people were like, you know what? I'm going to see that movie now. That's, I was like, wow, like, it took yeah. that. It's feels a little, almost feels like a, almost a little too late to catch those other stragglers to me, you know. So do you think that the, the way that the, Batman v Superman has been marketed so far has been on par with what they were trying to from the very beginning, correct? Yeah, I feel like I feel like they had a plan and that they thought we're gonna first we're gonna demonstrate that this is kind of a clash of titans here. This is Batman fighting Superman. Uh, just right that just is kind of the hook right there. It's Batman versus Superman. The world distrusts Superman because of what happened in Man of Steel, and now Batman is gunning for him. And I think that was their selling point, and I think they intended to present it as, like, here is a movie that is going to be much more, it's it's going to be darker, it's going to be more serious, it's going to be more, uh, and I, I hesitate to use terms like adult because it implies that other movies aren't adult, but mature in a way that like the themes will be mature that this will be a movie where most of the audience is going to be older probably like with the batman with the dark knight and the dark knight rises they're positioning it to attract that audience and say this is a superhero movie this is a more comic book movie this is a superhero team-up movie but it's not moving toward more of an avengers broader a uh, brighter colored superhero movie like you might the mainstream might expect this is taking the superhero team up movie and keeping it closer to that batman approach from the dark knight movie something that's a little darker that's a little edgier i think that's what they were trying to sell this as uh and i think they largely have succeeded uh i think that the trailers have been marketing's been a good mix i just think that there was a little bit of uh, uncertainty about whether they were getting the right message across because, you know, a lot of online reactions and a lot of fan site reactions were mixed. 
And it's easy for that loud kind of din and that just endless wall of sound from fans and fan sites online can kind of, because it's so loud and it's so steady, it can give a false impression that it's bigger and more influential than it is. Those voices and those fans and those fan sites, frankly, have a very small footprint and are not going to have a significant impact on the mainstream public's perception of this movie worldwide. And it's the mainstream worldwide public who are going to make or break this film, not a fan website, not a rumor on that fans are freaking out over on social media and not fan sentiment. We're important. We help drive buzz leading up to a movie. But at the end of the day, it stands on its own merits and it's going to be the marketing is what's really going to represent the primary face of this film for the vast, vast, vast majority of the public at large. Wow. See, that's why you have a guy like Mark Hughes on your on your podcast, because he can break <laughs> things down like that. And the nuances and everything with he the market. He uses big words and stuff that I can't <laughs> use. Where can we find you on Twitter and Facebook, Mark? I'm on Twitter at Mark Hughes Films, and you can also find me at Forbes.com backslash sites. That's S-I-T-E-S backslash Mark Hughes. Nice. Nice. So for episode 11 of Lords of Film, I am Justin Chandlin. Tom Harper. Kyle Davis. Mark Hughes. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia.